When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Hey everyone, I'm Stephen Hyden. And I'm Jordan Runtog. Join us as we unveil our new music podcast, Rivals. It's a look back at famous music rivalries of the past. Every week, Jordan and I will explore a new rivalry, delving into all the dirty details about our beloved musical icons who just can't seem to get along with their fellow legends. And then we'll debate each other about who deserves to have the upper hand in these classic conflicts. You'll remember the biggest beast from music history and hopefully become aware of some you didn't know. Join us on Rivals, a new podcast from iHeartRadio debuting on February 26th. Listen and follow on the the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Molly. Molly, in these winter months, there are a few things that I really love that happen in this season. In the winter times? In the winter times. And that is the growing of Decembeards, mm. Movembers, Mustaches, Octobeards. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the male facial hair that tends to sprout in these winter lumberjack flannel wearing kinds of months. Right. When uh when it's nippy outside, yes, they they get a little hair to keep them warm. Right. And there is this specific charity event called Movember, mm-hmm. uh in which men were supposed to grow mustaches in order to raise money for charity. Kind of like I guess the the larger the mustache gets, the more money people donate, mm-hmm. something like that. But women have come up with a similar event for December. Does it involve growing mustaches? No, it does not involve growing mustaches because that would that would really be a lot to ask for charity for women to start growing out mustaches. Instead, it is Decembrow, in which women are growing out their unibrows for charity. Right, and I believe this was spearheaded by Lori over at Feministing. Yes. And she wrote one, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek post. It was very, you know, cheeky. Like, oh, I'm going to grow out my unibrow, and this is the charity the money's going to go to, and mm-hmm. this this way we can participate in this. And it got picked up by quite a number of other bloggers and, and places in the media. Yeah, people thought it was kind of absurd, this idea of women growing out their unibrows. And people thought that this was a completely absurd idea, this idea of women growing out their unibrows. Because what is more repulsive... On a woman than a unibrow. I mean, we've got Frida and she's cool, but I mean, not if we had a bunch of Fridas walking around, people just go bananas. And that's not your opinion, Kristen. That was yeah, the I, tone of the articles that were published about this. Exactly. And I think that if you go back and you read the feminist sing post on December, there is, like you said, a very tongue in cheek tone to it, but it also points out this question of why are we so obsessed with 
our eyebrows, the space in between our eyebrows and how thick or thin they are, because it is a lot to keep up with. Well, you know, she even said women who don't have a lot of facial hair growth, especially on the eyebrow area, just take out a marker and, uh, and just draw it in. So like, I, like we said, it's, it was very kind of, um, I thought funny and a lot of people just took it way too seriously. So the thick and thin of eyebrows, why, why are these two just little patches of hair, such a big deal. And they are weird patches, Molly. So I guess the first question we should answer is why we have them in the first place. So for that, we head over to HowStuffWorks.com, not surprisingly, which tells us that we most likely have eyebrows. Scientists aren't exactly sure why, but the most likely explanation for eyebrows is that they help keep moisture out of our eyes when we sweat or we walk around in the rain. And this would have been especially helpful, let's say, if you were trying to outrun a predator back in the golden oldie days. If you're running really fast and then sweat got in your eyes, that would be troublesome. If you're running in the rain, that would be troublesome. And the article posits that if we didn't have eyebrows, we probably would have something else that would have uh, taken its place to keep water out of our eyes, such as perhaps a, a ledge. You know, we would have had like foreheads that extended out an inch so that it would have kept the water out of our eyes. So for people out there who hate their eyebrows, at least we don't have like extremely prominent brows. Yeah, like ledge brows. <laughs> ledge brows. Uh, so we have these eyebrows. And even though, yeah, the replacement option of, of a ledge, ledge brow, thick skin around our eyes is not very appealing. Seems like humans are really not all that down with eyebrows because we have been altering them since recorded history. And I wonder if part of it's because, you know, eyebrows are expressive, like a raised eyebrow, mystery, Mm -hmm. Um, incredulous, astonished. You don't want to look, you know, incredulous or astonished all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think that the part of the thing that we can interpret feeling from eyebrows, maybe that's why we get so upset with, you know, changing them up. But like you said, Kristen, since, since the dawn of mankind, people have been like, hey, Let's let's mess with that hair over our eyes. Yes. And here are some fascinating tidbits about eyebrows and our history with eyebrows that comes from the Encyclopedia of Hair, a wonderful book, by the way, which was written by Victoria Shero. And if we go back to ancient Egypt, big surprise here, Egyptians used coal to darken and define their eyebrows. And they also emphasized the area beneath the brows and the eyelids with colored shadows. So they really did it up. And in ancient Greece, women used soot to darken their eyebrows, and they would make fake eyebrows from dyed goat's hair and attach them to their forehead with tree resin. Now, if you were a lady back in the Byzantine days, you might pluck the eyebrows in a straight line and then draw a black line beneath them. Fast forward to the Middle Ages, and the fashionable thing would be plucking all or most of the eyebrows so that you have the, the thin lines. The thin lines. And also, uh, Elizabethan era, we think about Queen Elizabeth, how she had that really high forehead and no eyebrows. That high forehead is thanks to uh, corrosive hair dyes. Yes. That would kill all, all everything that was in a, a radius of that area. So 
um, because of those hair dyes, the completely empty forehead with uh, completely plucked eyebrows came into fashion in England. And in the 16th century in Europe, people disliked the thought of bushy eyebrows so much that they would rub walnut oil on their children's eyebrows to discourage the hair growth. But as we will see and as continues to happen today, this look goes out of style. Yes. As things do. And so when the kids didn't have any eyebrows, they took um, mice and made uh, eyebrows out of mouse hides ah. and attached them to their foreheads because the walnut oil had destroyed the ability of the hair to grow back. See, I mean, we think we have it hard with all this plucking and waxing and threading. At least we're not gluing mice fur to our faces. And I feel like, you know, I feel like this is a lesson we need to take today, because as I said, we're going to fast forward in a bit and we'll see how the trends are constantly changing. And we don't want to end up like the people who are wearing mouse hides on their head. No. So if you ever feel like your eyebrows are out of style, just wait. Just wait. It's coming back around. Yeah. Let's get to the 20th century, because in the 20th century, people just are so ADD with their eyebrows, okay? One minute thin is in, next minute it's thick. So let's just, let's hop through the 20th century right quick, Molly. Well, and we've got to remember that one of the big things we have in the 20th century is cinema. The moving picture show. And the lovely actresses of the stage and screen, as with most fashion styles, really influence our eyebrows. And if you think about silent films, the actors are always extremely expressive in their faces because they have to get across all of the emotion through their facial expressions since they don't have any words they can use. And so thin was very in for silent uh, film stars because the thin arches, the really well-defined then arches were thought to be more expressive and would deliver those facial expressions more effectively. Exactly. Like actress like Greta Garbo, she plucked her brows, so they made a really distinct arch. Uh, Marlena Dietrich eliminated her brows and drew uh, drew a line above her normal brow line to get some some expressivity. It's not a word. I just made it up. <laughs> but then when we move into the 1940s and we have World War II and people are really having to just roll up their shirt sleeves, get out, dig their victory gardens, the eyebrows become less high maintenance. They become thicker, more natural looking. Mm -hmm. And to many people, this was a no-nonsense look that connoted the idea that women were strong and capable while the men were out fighting. They were on the home front taking care of the home, going out into the workplace, and all of that. They did not have time to draw on a brow line every day. No. But after the war ends, the eyebrows thin again. I mean, it's not quite as thin as the 20s and 30s, uh, and the eyebrows are still very well-defined with a high arch. And think about people like Elizabeth Taylor, Audrey Hepburn, Joan Crawford. They didn't have pencil thin eyebrows but they were they did have that very distinct shape and very very darkened eyebrows they were maintained and then in the 60s uh women kind of go crazy with their eyebrows because it's the 60s you know this is an age of shaving them all off tweezing them all off you might throw some glitter up in there some feathers you might bedazzle your eyebrows so uh things that's when that's when i think the the floodgates open and anything anything goes the 70s brows are thinner and shorter 
And then natural brows come back during the 1980s with big hair. Think about Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields mm-hmm. is pretty much upheld as the eyebrow icon of the 1980s. And in the Encyclopedia of Hair, Victoria Shiro uh, theorizes that natural brows are really in because of women in the workplace who are trying to make a statement with their very masculine, sort of over, overly angular business attire, including those huge suit jackets and large shoulder pads, which I like to think of, you know, with uh, Kirstie Alley's wardrobe and Cheers. <laughs> she always wears those enormous blazers. And along with that, you have those thick, very commanding eyebrows. But it seems that, uh, you know, whether they're thick or thin, that just depends on the decade you're living in. But, you know, once we got past those really ancient times we talked about where the, you know, people were just drawing lines straight across their forehead, unibrows have not been in, you know, at any point during that yeah, time. Yeah. And Cheryl points out that there was a poem that people would say in the 20th century, which I never heard before. Maybe you guys have. If your eyebrows meet above your nose, you will never wear your wedding clothes. Had you heard of that, Kristen? No. <laughs> Well, according to Shara, that was a rhyme that was common, um, despite the fact I've never heard it. So uh, whether they're thick or thin, people seem to want to get rid of that that hair in between. And in the 80s is when that quest to keep the unibrow free and clear starts to develop into its own industry. We have the rise of makeup artists such as Brazilian-born artist Paulo Siskira, who's been known as the eyebrow guru. I'd like to be an eyebrow guru. Yeah. I don't know. Is that, a, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to rethink that one. So fast forward to the nineties and the style relaxes a little bit. It's not extremely thick. It's not extremely thin, but in the nineties, we do have the rise in popularity of eyebrow waxing. Now we did a lot of research on different methods you could do to get rid of unwanted hair, whether you want a thin style, you know, more natural style with just no unibrow. And whether you wax, tweeze, thread, you're looking at two weeks. Yeah, it all lasts about two weeks. If you can get the hair out of the, ripped out of the follicles <laughs> by force, you got about two weeks before it starts to poke back through. But the question is, Kristen, all right, I've got my two weeks. I've got my method of hair removal lined up. Mm-hmm. How much hair should I remove to be in style? Because I will say, I told you this before we started this podcast. One time in college, someone said to me, that would be really attractive if I just got my eyebrows taken care of. What? Burn. Wow. And uh, so I don't think that's an uncommon thing that women hear. So when you've got the tweezers or you're in the salon, how do you make sure that you're going to stay in style? Because I will say the one tip my mother, one of the only beauty tips I ever got was to not pluck out all my eyebrows. Well, I think I think this is a good rule of thumb. And this is coming from... Rami Gaffney, who is also known as the king of brows, not to be confused with Paolo Sakira, the eyebrow guru. <laughs> uh, but Rami said, there are many trends in makeup, but I think the eyebrows should be classic. I think of the eyebrow as a feature like your nose. It shouldn't be trendy. It should be classic and flattering to your face. Now, I think Rami, the king of brows, mm-hmm. made a very good point here because when we pulled up Eyebrow trend articles from the New York Times. And yes, you would be surprised, folks, how much attention the New York Times pays to eyebrow trends. Just from 2007 to 2009, they were telling us that, first of all, that thick was back in. Grow them out, ladies. Make them as bushy as possible. Even even brush them upwards Mm -hmm. to enhance. Plump them. Plump them up. But then by 2009, they were telling us that 
supposedly the trend was going to be no eyebrows at all. Shave them off entirely. Yeah. And I have to say we read one piece. Uh, it was on Nightline. We were reading the transcript of it. And they said, before you shave off both eyebrows, just shave off one and see how it looks. Which I have to say might be the worst advice yeah. I've ever seen Th- given. Thanks, Nightline. This is for great advice, for, for advice for how to look like a fool. So I think that the king of brows does have a point in that you really can't pay attention to these trends because... It, from t- Like Kristen said, in the course of two years, we went from bushy to zero. I do think it's interesting, though, that the thicker trend seemed to come along with uh, less feminine clothing styles. You know, we, when you always have on the runways the swing back to menswear that seems mm-hmm. to happen every other season or so. When the New York Times was reporting on this, it said that these plumped up, fluffier eyebrows were more in vogue because of, quote, clunky, angular fall fashions. At the same time, this is corresponding to the more recession-era fashion that's a little more no-nonsense like we see back in World War II. So I'm wondering if maybe thicker eyebrows are a recession-era trend. I think that's a pretty interesting hypothesis, Kristen, but I, I think that you know, when it shifts back to the more dainty dresses and then I guess thin eyebrows will be in again. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, I don't know, kind of sad because, you know, one of the reasons why no eyebrows and really thin eyebrows came into being besides the fact that, you know, actresses could be more expressive was because of this idea that any facial hair meant you were a man. Right. Because we haven't talked at all about male eyebrow grooming. At this right. point, you you can pretty much assume that all of this eyebrow information is directed completely at women. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, part of the reason why those really dainty 20s actresses wanted to distinguish themselves also from the male actors. And so that's why they have the really thin brows. And just because, you know, that, you know, those fashionable styles will change and we'll get back into the less no-nonsense era. But the I don't one think we should shave our eyebrows off again. I don't think we should shave our eyebrows off either because what are we going to do when we're caught out in the rain or we're sweating profusely? I mean, all that water is just going to go straight to the eyes. And we'll be longing for ledge brows. Yes, we're, we're meant to have some eyebrows. But Molly, one trend, eyebrow trend that I could not find any information on is male eyebrow grooming. And you know it's happening. And I know it's happening because I know men who quote unquote manscape for <laughs> lack of a better, less infuriating word. So it's happening, but I do, I do think it's kind of, kind of telling that not many, not many men's sites want to cop up to them also grooming their eyebrows. Maybe I'm just mistaken. Men out there, please correct me if I'm wrong. But that was one thing I couldn't find. Well, let's circle back. So we've, we've done the history of the eyebrow. We've talked about the different trends that eyebrows can take on. So my question for you, Kristen, even though December is over and the holidays have passed, it's still winter. It is still winter. Are you going to grow out a unibrow? I, you know, Molly... As a fair-skinned woman with dark brown eyebrows, I will confess to you right now that I'm far too vain to grow out my unibrow. So I feel like that is sort of become the standard, as we think that two is two is good. Two is better than one in this case. Um, but I don't think that if someone like Lori from Feministing wants to grow out one, that it should have been as big a deal yeah. as it was in the blogosphere exactly. on the Internet. <laughs> um, but I think this is where we're going to turn it over to you guys. And I'm sure there are listeners out there who have some eyebrow horror stories. 
And I especially want to hear from the men on this point. So we're opening up to you guys. Eyebrows, thin, thick, anywhere in between. <laughs> where where do you stand on them? Uh, the email address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And let's read a few emails, Kristen. I have one here from Nika who wrote about the Female Superheroes podcast. And she writes that one of my favorites was Tank Girl, who you may have touched on in the Grunge Girls of the 90s description. But nonetheless, she is a cut above and stands alone as a strong female heroine in her own right. I was also a huge fan of ElfQuest, which had a myriad of characters, both male and female, that all possessed hero qualities. Both of these examples are outside the norm of the female stereotypes you described that women tend to fall within in the mainstream comic culture. There's also Girly Girl, a sassy five-year-old drawn by Peter Bag with two teeth, uh, a set of aggressive ponytails, and she doesn't take crap from anyone. She's absolutely hilarious. In all honesty, she's a bully, but a funny one at that. So those are three of my favorites that show ladies in comics in a different light. So thank you, Nika. Well, I have another email here in regard to our female superheroes two-part episode extravaganza. And this is from Greg, and he says, I was surprised that there was no mention of Batwoman. Of all superheroes, Batwoman is my favorite. She doesn't conform to the usual female superhero stereotype mentioned in your podcast with the skimpy costume and possible curves and the long flowing hair. She's also not part of a group or team and deserves recognition for her strong individual abilities, both as a superhero and a woman. Kat Kane, Batwoman, is also one of the very few lesbian characters in the comic book universe, and her writers slash creators have garnered much praise from many LGBT groups. She's a character with many layers and is a refreshing read from the abundance of the usual heroine stereotypes that are outlined in your podcast. I'm happy that she is finally receiving her own solo title this winter. So thank you, Greg, and everyone else who has written into our email, momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us at Twitter, which is at momstuffpodcast. And finally, you can head over to our blog, see what we're up to during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair, but Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.